Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. It's a question I've asked you for most of the year. How much are you paying for lamb? A major supermarket today is dropping its prices across a wide range of lamb products by around 20%. It's being celebrated as finally following the situation faced by farmers around the country, indeed by a huge amount of you in Victoria. Is 20% enough? Should this be applauded that a supermarket is following the market rate for farmers or do you have something else to say in that regard? You can send us a text 0467 842 722. We'll have a look at that shortly on the program. We'll go to quite extensive hayfire that was, uh, well, ablaze yesterday uh, as we went to you on the country air and is still being cleaned up today. We'll be being cleaned up, I think, for a couple of days yet to come. And plus, how many members do you need as an agricultural group to get a meeting with the minister? Around 100 or so members of the new dairy organisation in Victoria. That's enough to open the door to meet the new Victorian Agriculture Minister. You'll hear why shortly on the program. Right now, though, let's get some rural news with Emma Field today. Emma. G'day, Warwick. Making rural news. Dairy giant Saputo has announced a strategic review of its King Island dairy business that could see it put up for sale. King Island Dairy employs about 63 people producing premium cheeses sold on supermarket shelves around the country. Saputo says it's as part of the review, it will consider a range of strategic, commercial and financial alternatives, including a potential sale to a third party. The company has also announced $27 million in capital investments for its remaining factories in Victoria and New South Wales. And the Federal Minister for Infrastructure and Transport says port operators sharply increasing fees is not her responsibility. Peak Body Grain Growers says charges ultimately paid by farmers to access some of the country's export ports are out of control and need to be reined in by the Federal Government. On January the 1st, terminal access charges imposed by stevedoring company DP World will jump 53%, 39% and 38% respectively at its Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane ports. However, Minister Catherine King says it's not her problem. Well, we don't own or operate any ports. Um, the only one we own is Darwin, and we've leased that. We don't. That, so they're all operated and owned either privately or by state government. So uh, they are questions for state governments or the operators of those ports. Uh, we've got very little control in terms of being able to actually determine that. We can ask the ACCC, obviously, um, it's not my portfolio that's in the Treasurer's, uh, to look at those charges, but we don't own or operate any ports. It's one of the, one of the challenges we have as part of our national freight strategy is, you know, what that consistency is across the country. If there was an industry code, could that put some level of control on any increase in charges? Well, codes of conduct or codes um, that the ACCC does, they certainly can. They're generally voluntary, so that so it would, de- would depend on what sort of code it was and that, you know, they are generally voluntary. Then, you know, you can go to a regulatory code, but that's really the first step. You sort of do that uh, along the track. And again, that would be a matter for the minister responsible for the ACCC. And heading up north now, where the tiger prawn trawlers have finished their season in the Gulf of Carpentaria early. The industry says financial pressures are behind the decision to pull up stumps one month early rather than any ecological or stock concerns. Austral Fisheries Operations Manager Brian Van Wick says the financial concerns have come after a mix of high costs and changes with mother shipping services. 
It's no secret it has been economically challenging this year. These trawlers are very fuel hungry and, and that's certainly the biggest driver of the economic pressure. I think we're around 60 to 100% up on fuel price compared to our 10-year average. And we're not the only ones. Every, just about every fishing uh, business in Australia is feeling it. To another harvest that's wrapped up, this time in New South Wales, where the state's sugarcane industry has delivered its lowest crop in more than a decade as a result of last year's catastrophic floods. The saving grace for cane growers was the record sugar price and rainfall during the recent planting to boost future crops. Sunshine Sugar CEO Chris Connors is hopeful that 2024 will be an improvement on this year's small crop. We haven't been that low for a long time. How long? Uh, yeah, remember the year 2000 and say, I'll say 11 or 12, uh, we only we only crossed 900 odd thousand that year. That was after some pretty big frosts that destroyed things. So, and more recently we're averaging 1.8, 1.9 and that's where we want to be. New ground going in, you know, we've had 1,500 hectares of applications, some yet to be approved, but they'll all get approved eventually. And, you know, with that going in the ground, and the growers putting back in what, what we're seeing at the moment. We're looking to recover pretty well. And finally was yesterday. We had a 92-year-old cowboy still competing in rodeos. Today we have an 85-year-old still milking buffalo. Every morning, Margaret Thompson gets up to milk her buffalo herd at the Sunshine Coast Hinterland Dairy. She founded with her late husband, Mal, and she still volunteers in catchment care. And after years on the farm, she still loves the job. Well, my grandfather came there in 1903, so um, the family's been there, and I refuse to tell you how long I've been there. I was born in 38, so I guess it's what happens. Wow. Well, it's a credit to you that you're still working. A lot of people would have retired well and truly before now. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm not one for doing bowls or whatever, and... um, this is the really the outside thing I'm a part of now because it's too hard to get around anywhere. When Derry Reg came, Mel wanted to look at something else and be a bit adventurous, and that's how it happened. <laughs> and once you get them, it's hard to get rid of them in more ways than one. <laughs> and when you look at those big, beautiful animals... When they look at you, that's when you're done. <laughs> it really is. They are gentle, they're very loving... It's just like any animal, I guess, how you treat them, it's how you get what you get. There are just some farmers that will probably never retire, was. And that wraps up Rural News. I love that, Emma. Thank you very much for that. 92-year-old rodeo rider, an 85-year-old buffalo milker. Who knows what we'll have in tomorrow's Rural News. You'll have to stay tuned for that. We're about to talk about supermarket prices of lamb. Already on the text says, Warwick, at the very least, the supermarket should be dropping meat prices by 50%. They've been buying dirt cheap stock for more than 12 months now. And this one says they've got it all wrong. Farmers are going broke and we're not getting enough to break even. If supermarkets want to control prices, send them to the ACCC. So are you noticing that you're paying less for lamb now? Are you finally starting to see a fall at the checkout that we've been speaking about for months at the sale yard? or at least even direct to abattoirs as well. The Agriculture Minister has welcomed a decision by supermarket giant Woolworths to finally drop the price of lamb. Sale yard prices for sheep and lambs have fallen drastically this year, with some categories down 70% from their peak. Woolworths have announced today that 26 lamb products would be cut in price by 20%. 
That's from today. Those price cuts should be in place now. Agriculture Minister Murray Watt welcomed that news but said Woolworths and other supermarkets could do more. I certainly welcome that decision by Woolworths to pass on some of those savings to Australian consumers. I know when I go and buy my leg of lamb on a Saturday to make a roast, I've seen the price rise in recent years and months, and I think everyone has been going through the same thing. So to provide some cost of living relief in that way with lamb prices at the supermarket, I think will be really welcomed by Australian shoppers. Has it come um, too late, no- though? Because sale yard prices had fallen substantially in the months prior. Yeah, look, I I think I really empathise with uh, sheep and cattle producers because we've seen prices for both commodities fall significantly in recent months. Uh, And I think it's been very frustrating to those producers to not see that reflected in supermarket prices. So over the last few weeks, I've actually been calling on the retailers to do the right thing. Um, But if prices are lower at the farm gate, then they should be reflected at the supermarket shelves as well. And, you know, I think we all recognise that there are additional costs incurred between the farm gate and supermarkets, transportation, processing costs, all those kind of things. But I think everyone was getting a bit jack of seeing such a big discrepancy between the prices farmers were getting and what they were having to pay at the supermarkets. So I'd now like to see the other big retailers join Woolworths and pass on those reductions. Uh, and, you know, without with, with any luck before too long, we'll see producers getting better prices as we work through the sort of oversupply um, that we're seeing in the market at the moment. Do you think you may have played a role in Woolworths' decision here? Oh, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to, to sort of claim that, Warwick, but, you know, I thought it was important as the Minister to deliver a message to the retailers that they do need to meet community expectations. You know, I think traditionally it's always been a few months between seeing livestock prices fall and, and seeing supermarket prices fall, but, you know, I, I was keen to use my position to put a bit of pressure on the retailers and I'm pleased that one of them has responded. As I say, I'd now like to see the other ones do the same thing. Woolworths are dropping the price by 20%. Indicators are around 40 to 50% lower than, say, their peaks in March earlier this year as well. Is there is there room for more price drops or price cuts at the retail yeah. level? Yeah, I think, I think there is, Warwick, as time goes on. And I think we recognise that... Um, the prices are being a bit held up at the retail level also by stocks uh, that are already held um, that, and forward contracts that retailers entered into with producers and processors when prices were higher. But as we see those figures change, again, I would like to see those prices come down for consumers. I think all of us understand that Australians are feeling real cost of living pressure at the moment. We've been doing what we can as a government in trying to pass on energy rebates and cheaper medicines, cheaper childcare, things like that. But you know, if we can do more around food and grocery prices for Australians, that'll really help a lot of family budgets too. That is Agriculture Minister Murray Watt speaking there. Woolworths have said it's their pre-Christmas gift for struggling families dropping those prices across 26 Australian land products by 20% from now until the end of the year. What do you make of that? You can send a text 0467 842 722. We'd love to get your thoughts on the uh, supermarket land price drop, a 20% fall. There have been far larger falls in price at the sale yards, but not all sheep going through sale yards, particularly older sheep, end up on the supermarket shelves, do they? So be interested in your views on that as well. Let's go a bit more local. A fire has destroyed around 6,000 big squares of hay across seven sheds at a storage site near Kerrang. 
Dozens of firefighters battled the blaze into the night yesterday to stop the fire from spreading to even more sheds. Angus Verley spoke with Kerrang Fire Brigade Captain and Veteran Volunteer Ramon Steele about the blaze. A bit after 12 o'clock yesterday, we had called to a uh, hay shed fire at the um, hay storage complex just out of Kerrang. On arrival, we had one hay shed fully involved, which we were able to contain to that shed. Um, several hours later, we had a firestorm come through, unexpected winds, which flared up um, an ember attack and just spread to seven other sheds. We were able to contain it to those seven sheds and um, save another 13. With the help, we had uh, 19 uh, fire trucks there, plus additional resources. And then we had uh, two strike teams of eight tankers um, maintain a vigil overnight. I'm just about to head back out there now to get a briefing and take over from them. And do you understand, assuming that it started from spontaneous combustion of hay? I believe it's definitely not suspicious. Uh, it's under, under investigation. It's not suspicious. Okay. And, and the way it was able to spread between the sheds, that, that was through embers rather than travelling uh, through grass between the sheds? Correct. Yeah, just an ember attack. Um, it's just a shower of sparks spreading through all the other sheds. As I said, in, once resources, more resources got on scene, we, we allocated two fire trucks to every unburned shed. We also had multiple grass fires going out in the you know, paddock, um, which is outside the facility, which they were easily contained. But nothing could be done to stop the ember attack from the seven sheds in line of the the, uh, the fire from which way the wind direction was going. We all got also got very strong, unpredictable winds, which kept changing. And that, as you say, that, that wind change that's, that's caused all the damage, it sounds like it was pretty ferocious. It was incredible. I've been a fireman for 39 years and captain for 19 of those years. It's, it's the, uh, the worst fire I've ever witnessed, seen or had to live through. So before that, that wind change, did you, you think you had things under control? No, never at any stage was the fire under control. We'll just have to maintain it to that one. We just, the stacks are too big. It cannot be extinguished. Um, it was just an unexpected wind change, which which wasn't forecast on the ground, which created this ember attack. So n- now, Ramon, the, you're just going to have to uh, patrol these sheds and, and wait for them to, to burn out? Yeah, correct. They've got to be burnt out. We've, um, we've got northwesterly winds today, which is going to be a concern. The contractors themselves were shifting hay uh, all last night out of the closest sheds. And um, as, as I said, I'm about to head out there now and relieve the the night crew and get a debriefing and um, be prepared for what's in store for today. And the sheds, they're owned by a local uh, farmer and hay contractor? Yeah, correct, yeah. And the, the timing of it, Ramon, obviously Melbourne Cup Day yesterday, uh, a lot of a day off for people, family day, social outings. Of, of course, dozens of people would have had to put that aside to attend this fire. Yeah, correct. The first crews on scene um, did a um, remarkable job under massive ember attack and smoke, etc., um, to contain it to the seven sheds. Um, incredible effort. And as you said, you haven't seen um, wind like that in your long career. And I suppose for a lot of people, a lot of firefighters on scene, it would have been a pretty daunting experience. It was, yes. I said the the. Um, for the sake of repeat myself, the ember attack was just incredible um, and the, the wind was just relentless. And I suppose, obviously, it is hay season at the moment and, and this is what does seem to happen each year, doesn't it, that we do get these uh, spontaneous combustion events? Uh, uh, correct, yeah. This is not uncommon this time of year.
And just again, Ramon, how long do you think it will take for, for these stacks to burn out? I'd envisage at least another couple of days, I would think. And for those couple of days, we've we've got more sort of warm and uh, windy weather, don't we? Yes, today's going to be probably, they'll burn down a fair bit overnight. Today will be uh, a test. At this stage, it's it's quite still out there. So we haven't got time to prepare for what the wind's going to do. As I said, the, the uh, hay contractors were shifting hay uh, last night with a heap of Manitou's. And um, when I get out there and get briefed, we'll have a bit of a plan of attack on today. That's Kerrang Fire Brigade Captain Ramon Steele speaking with Angus Verley about that big hay fire out of Kerrang. And if you want to see just how big it is, it is, well, incredible is probably the, the word I could use to describe those photos. They're up on the ABC Rural website if you'd like to see abc.net.au slash rural. Uh, the nighttime photos, epic, huge stacks of fire ablaze and you see the telehandlers and the fire trucks working so hard to try and control that. There's video and so and and more in that article as well. But, yeah, it really gives you an insight into what firefighters and uh, the owners of that property were facing and well worth a look if you get a chance. abc.net.au slash rural is the place to go to look at that. It's 22 past 12 here on the Country Hour. Let's talk lobbying government. Let's talk who does that on your behalf if you're a farmer in Victoria right now. Because as you know, there is a high-profile court case involving the Victorian Farmers Federation right now, involving grains members. There's been a split in the dairy industry, and that's what we'll focus on right now. Despite having only about 100 or so members, the new dairy lobby group, Dairy Farmers Victoria, will meet with the Victorian Agriculture this week, uh, Agriculture Minister this week. The new group was set up when former Victorian Farmers Federation dairy members established their own group, decided to go it alone in July. Dairy Farmers Victoria President Mark Billy Billing is now on a recruitment drive across the northeast today, places like Coryong and Dedarang, and Emma Field spoke with him about the plans for the new organisation. This is the first of a few just farmer forums that we're having um, explaining what Dairy Farmers Victoria is doing. Um, we've got a very good connection within the industry um, already. Our membership numbers are growing, and this is sort of just the first step in, in going out and doing a roadshow um, and just having a, a discussion with potential members and members about what we're doing and, as I said, the, the high level of connectivity that we have within the industry. How many members do you have on the books at the moment? Uh, we've got around 100 individual members at the moment um, and that's growing. We haven't really, from the time we started, we haven't really had the time uh, to, to go out and do these roadshows. All of us have sort of been busy with silage, etc. and we've got a few things um, coming up, we're thinking of, of a conference in um, potentially in April, um, and we're getting really good support for that. Um, and yeah, we'll have some more of these farmer forums in the regions, and I think that's one good thing with Dairy Farmers Victoria is that we have really strong um, regional representation on our committee. Um, we have three members in each of the regions, and four in, in Southwest. And have you made contact with government at all about your representation to them? Yes, so um, in the next day or two, um, we'll have the opportunity to sit down with uh, the new Ag Minister. Um, so we'll take the opportunity there to talk about um, some of the issues, if not all the issues, if we've got time, uh, facing dairy farmers in Victoria and, and look to make a, a strong connection with the new Ag Minister. Have you had discussion with Australian dairy farmers about potentially joining that organisation? 
Oh, look, we, we're supportive of ADF. Um, at this stage, uh, VFF is still the, the member, um, but uh, there are a number of us uh, at Dairy Farm of Victoria members that sit in the policy advisory groups inside ADF. Uh, that will continue. Um, so, yeah, look, the short answer is we're supportive of Australian dairy farmers and uh, look forward to having a closer relationship in the future. How can you sit in policy groups of ADF if you're not an affiliated member? Well, as most of us are still actually members of VFF um, and through that process, um, we're, we're able to be ADF business members, um, which enables us to participate in the policy advisory groups that sit within ADF. And, and that's important because the policy and good policy, strong policy, is very important for Australian dairy farmers and, and that's why we're supportive of uh, the national body. So those people that sit on the national body in the various policy councils still have to be members of the VFF at this stage? Yep, at this stage, that's right. Um, as I said, ADF still recognises VFF as the member, although VFF haven't paid their, their levies to ADF for um, over 12 months. Um, but we are, uh, as Dairy Farmers Victoria, still participating in that uh, national policy development. That's Dairy Farmers Victoria President Mark Billing uh, speaking to Emma Field there. Apologies on the phone line. In statement, the Victorian Farmers Federation confirmed ADF fees haven't been paid since October 2022. So they're the fees coming from the Victorian Farmers Federation to Australian dairy farmers. Interesting, though, that having 100 members does get you a meeting with the Victorian Agriculture Minister. What do you make of that? Is that because of its it being such a high-profile split in the dairy lobby in this state, or I wonder how the agriculture minister chooses who to accept the meeting from. You can let me know what you think. Zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. If you want to send a text, a lot of texts coming in on the price of lamb. We'll get to those in a few moments. I do want to talk to you about stone fruit though, because the stone fruit harvest has kicked off in Victoria, with growers saying this summer offers a chance to recover after hail and floods. Well led to widespread damage of crops last year. Elsie Kennedy spoke to Lake Boga grower and Redlands Orchards manager, Michael Tripodi. Crops are looking sensational this year. Not over heavy, but really good for, for our industry, I think, right now. The quality is looking really good. You know, we've had a bit of a, a cooler October, which is, it's not too bad for us, but now we're starting to warm up. The sugars will, will, will definitely increase. Mm, fantastic. How does it compare to last year? You would have had a much more challenging year last year. Uh, last year was very challenging, actually. We got uh, hit by hail for fairly severe last year, so we actually didn't pick a lot of fruit at all here. But the, the rest of the industry, it was trying because of all the, the, the floods. I think that uh, farmers have got a smile on their face at the moment. You know, the, the, the sad part about it is that everything's, the inputs have just gone up through the roof, but right now it looks very positive for us. Summer Fruit Australia Director, President of the Swan Hill Summer Fruits Association and fourth-generation Wurundine grower Dean Morpeth says he's hoping this year could offer a bit of relief after what has been a decade-long trend of Swan Hill stone fruit growers selling their farms. It's been a, a real reduction in the Swan Hill region for growers and uh, sort of continuing that way. The, historically, if you went back 10 years ago, the, the Swan Hill Summer Fruits Association had uh, close to 100 growers involved, um, and now we're down to 39 growers. Along with good seasonal conditions, Dean is hoping a growing export market in Vietnam and a rebound in exports to China will help boost sales. 
So we gained access into Vietnam at the start of last year for nectarines and peaches. And that was slow and steady last year with, with some growers putting produce there. Um, very much a, a new market that does take time to develop. And last year there was a decline in, in produce that went to China and other Asian markets. And we would be hopeful to see a, a change in that this season. Dean was in Brisbane this week, midway through a market tour of Australian cities. And he says another thing that's keeping growers optimistic is that so far this season, prices have been staying strong. As far as this season, I'm currently doing a bit of a market tour looking around Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and there's only a little bit of fruit in those markets. The, the prices are holding up uh, quite nicely. The fruit is moving through the markets a lot better due to, due to the end quality. Um, the consumers are enjoying it. We're just excited to hopefully have a good season and we hope that we can give the consumers a product that they enjoy to help build the stone fruit industry. I think that's the most important part of what we can achieve this year. That's Summer Fruit Australia director and Wurrunen grower Dean Morpeth. And before that, you heard from Michael Tripodi as well from Lake Boga speaking to Elsie Kennedy. Elsie, brand new to the Victorian country, our team and the ABC rural team in this state. And we couldn't be happier to have Elsie on board as our Mildura Swan Hill Rural Reporter. So if you're in that part of the world and you have a great agricultural story, get in touch with Elsie. We'll uh, look forward to her coming to either interview you or following it up on your behalf. So huge welcome to Elsie to be part of the rural team. We are pumped to have you. It is half past 12 here on the Country Hour. We're also pumped to go to the regional newsroom right now and find out what's making regional news headlines. Branson Gibson can do that for us. Good afternoon, Branson. Good afternoon, Warwick. Victoria's Health Minister Mary-Anne Thomas says the state's hospitals are working around the communication outage impacting Optus services nationwide. She says the government is doing all it can to address the difficulty Optus customers are having calling triple zero. Southwest Healthcare, Shepparton Private Hospital and Albury-Wodonga Private Hospital were among the hospitals in regional areas to be impacted by the outage. The lawyer representing the 66-year-old man involved in Sunday's horror crash which killed five people in central Victoria says his client is an insulin-dependent diabetic. Three adults and two children were killed and another five were injured when a car hit diners sitting in an outdoor area of the Royal Hotel in Dalesford. The man involved in the crash has been interviewed by police and has not been charged. He remains in hospital. His lawyer, Martin Ahmad, says his client is deeply distressed and feels great empathy with family and friends of victims and the wider Dalesford community. Allergy sufferers are being warned to take extra precautions as extreme grass pollen conditions and thunderstorm asthma warnings affect much of the state. Data from the Melbourne Pollen Count and Forecast shows all regional forecast areas, except Mildura and Swan Hill districts, have extreme pollen levels today. Additionally, all forecast areas excluding the Mallee, Wimmera and South West have moderate thunderstorm asthma warnings in place. Glenelgshire Council will have municipal monitors in place from Monday. The state government appointed the monitors after three councillors and two CEOs resigned in the space of 10 months amid reports of councillor division and poor behaviour. The oversight will cover all aspects of councillor behaviour and responsibilities and will remain in place until February next year. And that's the latest in ABC News headlines. For more news and stories, head to abc.net.au forward slash news. 
Thanks, Branson. Branson Gibson there with regional news headlines. A lot of your texts coming in on the price of lamb. Woolworths dropping their lamb by 20% today. We've been talking about whether that's a good thing given Sayad prices have fallen by much more than that. Uh, John in Northern Victoria says the oversupply arguments rubbish. Lamb sold on Monday are in the uh, are in the shops by Friday. Tony says I think it is more like lamb producers giving a Christmas gift to consumers, not Woolworths. That's what Woolworths was saying. Uh, it's being delivered to consumers via the supermarket from the farmers on on their behalf. Says Tony. Uh, Chris says current feedback from stock agents indicate that at the present there are no forward contracts in place between supermarkets and farmers. The supermarket buy are very actively purchasing cheap stock at every sale. And uh, this one says, careful, Warwick. Butcher shops had to suck up high prices at sale yards not too long ago. Never hear a farmer slash consumer complain when record prices are being set, says Andrew at Katupna. Andrew, I heard a lot of complaints when there were record prices from consumers about lamb being too expensive to buy. But I, I think I get the jest in which... You are sending that text, so thank you for that. And Brian at Venus Bay uh, says, Hallelujah. Gee whiz. Thanks, supermarkets, for not charging us top dollar for something they've been paying bottom dollar for for months. Mugs the average punter ain't. What about beef? Says Brian in Venus Bay. Thank you for all of your texts. Just before we go to the Weather Bureau, we did talk about that hay fire up at Kerrang. Still being cleaned up today will be getting cleaned up for a while yet. Uh, this one just simply says, The Kerrang CFA captain is a superstar. We'll take that as a comment. Lincoln Trainer is a superstar as well, senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. G'day, Lincoln. G'day, Warwick. You're very kind. <laughs> How's it looking around Victoria today? Is it superstar weather? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, the southwest, people down the southwest would have seen some fog this morning. It's only just kind of disappeared in the last hour. A bit of high-level cloud was covering that up, a lot of moisture, and now we've got a southerly, and we've even got sea fog uh, advecting up the uh, surf coast, and it's just been repelled by um, the rip uh, into Port Phillip Bay still right now, so that's interesting. But for the rest of the state, um, obviously the, the thoughts turn to storms today, a little bit like yesterday. Um, we've got some definitely this trough over Western Victoria, and that's bringing warm, humid and stormy conditions to central and uh, eastern parts of the state. We are expecting isolated showers and thunderstorms across the eastern half of the state today, potentially severe at times with damaging winds, hail, uh, and heavy rainfall. We saw a little bit of that yesterday. Um, there is a moderate, uh, I heard that in the news headlines, there is a moderate uh, TS asthma risk across the eastern half of the state, so please be aware of that. Temperature Temperatures are cool in the southwest because of that cloud cover, uh, but the rest of the state is relatively warm uh, and it's going to get quite hot uh, in the north, um, you know, in the kind of low 30s. Uh, fire dangers is always interesting. We're starting to warm up again, so we keep a really close eye on those. Uh, we are not at warning level yet. Uh, Melly and Wimmera is high uh, today, high in the Melly Thursday, high in the, the Melly and Wimmera Friday, and then Saturday. The, the fire danger rate, the, what we call the fire behaviour index, is starting to increase on Saturday um, and could be creeping towards extreme. So we're just looking at that, and that's when we start to look at warnings there. So, so it's Saturday quite... could be fire weather to, to keep an eye yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. 
keep an eye on that. Uh, starting to creep up now. And um, in terms of Thursday, uh, this trough just moves over over kind of the central part of Victoria tonight and then into eastern Victoria. And we'll see these um, potential thunderstorms but maybe some moderate to heavy falls over central parts of Victoria and then moving over to the ranges uh, overnight. Um, so I was just looking at some rainfall numbers, because you might ask me, and, I was, you know, potentially, um, you know, it's hard to pick where these heavy showers will form on this trough as it moves across, but I was looking at around, you know, it's not generally in Melbourne, it's to the north of Melbourne between um, maybe Seymour, Tellerook, uh, that kind of line. There could be shower activity, 10 to 15 mil uh, on these heavy showers, potential storms. And then as it gets over the ranges, you could see, and close to the ranges, could see up to 30 millimetres. So we're just looking at that overnight. So a little bit of rainfall around to be aware of. Um, and that will kind of go into the eastern half of the state tomorrow. Therefore, um, tomorrow we'll still have, as this trough moves and the warms up again, some thunderstorms potentially in the afternoon. More in the northeast where there's severe storms could be, but also in the eastern half. So that kind of clears finally on Friday. Uh, we get a bit of a breath, but a very warm on Friday. Um, you're seeing nearly you know, over 40 degrees in Mildura in the northwest uh, and quite warm across the state in the 30s. Um, so that's, that's a warm day Friday uh, as a northerly pushes over us. And then on the weekend, we get a, a weak trough kind of crosses us briefly Saturday. Uh, that could bring a couple of storms again, but not a lot in it. And then Sunday, we get a, a high-pressure ridge come across the state, and that's going to bring cooler conditions from Sunday. We start to bring temperatures back down into the low 20s, um, and then that will persist for the next few days after that. So really, it's the next couple of days we're just watching with these storms. Yeah, and just in terms of uh, the sort of weather looking further out, I do have a text here yeah. saying uh, any rain or storms for the Ballarat area, and I know we've been focusing more on the on the ranges, but is there, yeah. there much action around there for Harry? Yes, yes. Um, I was looking at that today. It's definitely where it might start because the trough is crossing kind of this evening. We could see a little bit again. We saw some yesterday. There's a few cells near Ballarat on our synthetic radar that suggests we could see some from um, this afternoon into the evening. So, yes, there could be some around Ballarat. Anything else we need to know, Lincoln? Oh, there is a marine warning uh, to the east, uh, East Gippsland Coast. Apart from that, just keep safe, keep an eye on these thunderstorms and look out for the Bureau website for any warnings. Yep, we shall do. Lincoln, thanks for the update. Thank you. Uh, there you go. Uh, Lincoln Trainer, Senior Forecaster from the Bureau, taking you through the forecast there. A couple of texts still coming in uh, saying, Hi, Was, do the ranges on the weather report refer to the ranges around Ballarat? No. I think you're more thinking, uh, they're more thinking when they're talking ranges is sort of the, the divide between the northeast and Gippsland, right? Your, uh, your northeast ranges all the way down. Great dividing range to the north of Melbourne there. I do know they take that turn and go west, but generally 
when they're talking ranges, they're talking to the ones in the east. But I can follow that up and get the official definition for you. Thank you very much for that. This text, well, a lot coming in in terms of land prices. This one simply says whinging sheep farmers. I guarantee you that's probably coming from someone in the dairy industry who didn't like it, like didn't like being called whingers during their difficulties in their industry. Woolworths, Woolworths could drop their whole store prices by 20% and still be expensive, says another one. Hi, was, says Steve, a Christmas gift for consumers. I'd like to make the uh, <clears throat> person that came up with that line says that text and uh, a whole lot more coming in. We are $16.99 for peaches in the supermarket was you're talking about stone fruit starting. Yeah, we generally get that at the start of the season when there's not many. That's why traditionally there was a rush to harvest stone fruit early in the season. And that's when you got those poor quality rock hard peaches, right? Because they'd get high prices early in the season. And then as more product came online, it started to drop in price, but sixteen ninety nine does sound like a lot, doesn't it? But the price is the price, I suppose, and that's what we've been learning and complaining about in terms of land prices over the last few months. You can keep your text coming zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. The Australian Meat Industry Council says strike action from workers will cause disruption to processes. Uh, that could take several days to resolve. This is going on in the meat industry right now while we're talking about oversupplies and cuts. Government on-plant vets and meat inspectors that are community and public sector union members will strike for one hour at the end of their shift today and again on Friday. It's part of rolling action the CPSU is taking after members rejected the federal government's last offer of an 11.2% pay increase over three years. AMIC CEO Patrick Hutchinson says the meat processing sector is collateral damage in these negotiations. Meat cannot be inspected on behalf of our international markets as per our requirements to export to them. And so we will either have to put that product on the domestic market, which is already burgeoning under the weight of a huge livestock increase in um, supply, or we'll have to close for an hour, or we'll have to go and then eat into overtime, which is quite incredulous considering the fact that um, those people who will then be taking that strike action will then be uh, having to work overtime where they get paid more. So inevitably, they just almost get paid twice, which has got to be exceptionally galling to our members. Does a one-hour stop have that much of an impact, though? Isn't that like an extended lunch break? Uh, far from it. You know, We're very upset of being used as a bargaining chip with the federal government by the CPSU, never spoke to us, never engaged with the industry that they're going to impact, never spoke to the department themselves. And frankly, you know, this is unions gone wild uh, as, as in, within this process. So, uh, you know, stopping for an hour on a factory where, you know, if you're a lamb processor of a certain magnitude, you could be processing 10 a minute. All of a sudden, you know, that's a number of lambs that you then can't process within that hour especially if you're bulk export. We've got 86 registered export establishments in this country. They uh, run 92 chains, uh, utilising 94 shifts. So there is a lot at stake here. And when you are processing, boning, packaging, and then loading out uh, product in that way, these are highly attuned manufacturers. So turning a factory off for an hour is akin to basically turning it off for six hours, trying to get everything back to um, back to functionality again. 
And so does the whole plant have to stop with those two positions out? So we're talking about meat inspectors and on-plant vets or can the processing continue uh, without them on site or does everything come to a stop without those two roles? Look, the processing can continue if it's going onto the domestic market or can be diverted to the domestic market. But these are high, highly functioning factories that have multitudes of brands. They are processing a multitude of different types of livestock uh, at any one day or at any one time, going underpinned by a multitude of brands and specifications, going to a multitude of markets. So it's not as simplistic as just saying, oh, well, they're not here, so we can just keep processing and they can come back. So if you are heavily slated towards uh, export markets, then them not being there means you can't process. Did we get a call or any any information in regards to their strike? No, we didn't. So that's the the sheer lack of respect that this union has shown our industry. Uh, and at a time when farmers are struggling and trying to get livestock off farms and everything else, this has a knock-on effect that can last not just for hours but for days trying to get back into uh, a rhythm. So, do so you think producers it, will feel the effect of it through prices and reduced capacity? I think what pr- producers will find is that it, it, it's not necessarily about a reduction in price. What it is is producers may be sending livestock in on those days or days around that, and they will have to wait another week, another ten days potentially, while in you know while companies then reset themselves. So. That's Patrick Hutchinson, CEO of the Australian Meat Industry Council, speaking there with Lydia Burton, the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations and the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries were contacted for comment but didn't provide any. And in a statement, the CPSU National Secretary, Melissa Donnelly, said union members would continue to apply pressure to the federal government until a revised pay offer was on the table. You're listening to The Country Hour. There's meat industry strikes. Let's pick up on another issue we've been talking about on The Country Hour this week, and that's childcare, particularly for rural and regional areas of this state. Regional Victorian childcare is at crisis point, according to the state's Shadow Minister for Child Protection. Uh, earlier this year, you heard, uh, earlier this week, not year, you heard from Grain Growers Major Projects General Manager, Caitlin Leonard, who said a lack of access to childcare was contributing to the agricultural labour shortage. Here's some of what she had to say. We're seeing it in in regional centres as well. So, um, you know, a lot of agriculture happens around regional centres, but the the problem becomes even more stark as you step into those rural and remote areas. Communities are really struggling to access both the staff, the funding and the infrastructure in order to establish them in rural and remote communities. It comes down to a workforce issue. We've got a lot of people that exist within the ag sector who are engaged in the sector, educated in the sector and and really keen to be involved, but they're struggling to get back to work because they can't access adequate childcare for their kids. Listening to that interview and frustrated at the situation was Roma Britnell, a member for South West Coast and a former dairy producer. She told Fiona Broom she has called for a parliamentary inquiry into childcare in this state, but those calls have been denied. This is one of the biggest issues we have in South West Coast, that with a lack of housing and a skills shortage um, makes it just a really difficult position for uh, employers and employees to really manage. They just cannot get childcare and uh, there are so many nurses, teachers, detectives, uh, police officers, uh, ambulance officers, 
have all contacted me saying we just have no way of being able to get back to work. Do you have an idea of the kinds of wait lists that the centres that are available are experiencing? The parents tell me that um, when they get uh, pregnant, they put themselves on the wait list. So, you know, four months pregnant, um, but when the child's two, they're still waiting. And I um, had a parent contact me last week and after the two years, they moved from 69th on the wait list to 65th on the wait list. So there's just no end in sight. And the, the parents are actually desperate because they can't see them getting childcare before the children go to school. There are so many issues that are able to be worked through. Um, So I raised in the Parliament uh, three weeks ago the uh, option of having an inquiry because parents are coming to me with their solutions and some of these ideas are really worth exploring. So I had to put to the Parliament the idea and ask for leave to begin the debate. I I was denied leave, so the debate was never able to begin. Last week in the Parliament, I prosecuted the case again for a childcare inquiry. I think the... Government are actually unaware of this crisis and it's something that I care will continue to prosecute and bring to their attention because families are desperate and it's one of the major issues in the region. What are some of those ideas about solutions to the childcare crisis? One of the mums um, is a doctor and she has three nurses in her practice and um, they all have a child each so they wanted to set up a, uh, a childcare centre in the practice but because of regulations at a state level, things like a, a daycare mum can register in her own home, but she can't register in another premise, so unless it's a registered in venue care. So there's all these little um, tweaks that I think we could be more flexible around. As long as we don't compromise child safety, which no one will be prepared to do, and rightfully so, we should be able to find ways to address this crisis now. That's why I raised it in the Parliament, because I think there are things at a state level we can do Clearly the subsidy is a federal issue, but coming together and looking for ideas and the government are in a position, the Labor government are in a position to work with their Labor counterparts at a federal level and find solutions and make the subsidy, for example, more portable so that if there isn't somebody here that can uh, take on the role and they need to employ an au pair from overseas, that that uh, subsidy can be used in those circumstances. I think there's bespoke solutions out there that parents and families are bringing to uh, the table. But without this inquiry, which the government denied um, leave for us to begin the debate, we really can't move forward and it's urgent. What kind of policies and regulations at the Victorian state level would you like to see changed? Well, I think that's the whole point of the inquiry. The childcare industry is a very professional industry and they understand it better. When we had a forum recently, there were childcare operators who had suggestions around um, ways you could tweak some of the boundaries that would not affect child safety. And like I said a minute ago with regard to daycare mums, um, sorry, that's what I always called them when I used it um, uh, as a service, you know, they should be able to set up wherever the venue is appropriate as long as, you know, at a council level maybe they could use the um, resources there to make sure that safety, which is I think what they do with family daycare, they operate through the councils and the councils check that the area is safe. So just looking at the regulations that can be altered to be more flexible and nimble, we clearly want children well looked after and early childhood education is vitally important. We're learning that, the better uh, outcomes you get in academia from earlier starting with um, children in education. But right now, we need a solution that we can get on the table within the next few months, not four years away. 
That is Roma Britnell, who is a Liberal MP for the South West Coast, speaking with uh, Fiona Broom about the situation for regional childcare. And finally today on the Country Hour, a cherry grower has found a niche market for his trees outside of summer harvest, selling the off-cut timber to high-end restaurants for smoking. Mark Folletta has a cherry orchard in the northeast of Victoria and sells timber that would otherwise be piled up for a bonfire. He explained to Annie Brown why restaurants want cherry and chestnut timber. I suppose it's you, you, you've been camping, Annie. You, you, come <laughs> ba- you come back from a couple of days camping, you smell your clothes, you're like, oh, God, this smells terrible. But uh, So that's when you burn something like red gum or whatever you can find on the side of the road. Um, is, uh, that's, um, that's quite a strong smoke where your fruit woods, um, which I mainly focus on cherry and chestnut, have this lovely, like, sweet, clean smoke smell. I don't know how, whether you can call smoke clean, but it's yeah, it's much more of a of an attractive smoke, and and um, you can that that's really you know adds a quite a, a complex um, taste to various um, you know dishes that uh, I've, you know, I've had everything from. Uh, Smoked olive oil through to um, yeah, some of the some of the woods are used for um, just just for straight cooking in in hibachi like Japanese grills. So um, yeah, the, the the popularity around the cooking with wood has really really uh, really increased in the yeah in the last few years. So you use it with some of your fruit trees. Do you have to grow it specifically for this, or is it another use of a byproduct? Uh, look, I'm I'm passionate about utilising waste products, and uh, yeah, this is something that started out when I was pulling out old trees. Um, there was a there was a resource there, and um, and so I cut it, split it, seasoned it, and uh, and and now I um yeah I, I have a, a big enough market down in Melbourne that I'm I'm actually sourcing it from other places and uh, I've got a, a, a great relationship with uh, with a, a guy up in the, in the in the Alpine areas and he's got this beautiful old uh, oh it's actually the oldest chestnut grove in Australia it's uh, I think over 80 years old and uh, a quarter of the trees have, have died so we're they're uh, they're freestanding nice and dry and the 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 product that's coming off that is like amazing quality every time i bring it into to a new chef there that they they, they, they they get super excited about it and it's um yeah there's a bit of a buzz around town about this uh, this product so it may sound silly but so the timber of the the tree tastes like the the fruit i guess so like yeah chestnut tr- timber tastes smells like chestnuts or? a great question Annie. like it's actually uh, I suppose an example with with when I get a, a seasoned piece of cherry wood and I split it, and you smell it straight away, it actually has this lovely marzipan kind of almond smell. Um, so I thought, oh no, that's uh, that's that's not cherry. That's that's like almond. So, but uh, and then the the, the chestnut. Um, the chestnut has this really it has a kind of a, a nutty smell but yeah again it goes back to the smoke being being this nice clean and also clear smoke the um the other side of it is cherry cherry is really good for flavor and it also provides a bit of color so if you if you're smoking with cherry wood you'll you'll, you'll get a really nice rich color in the meat um and yeah the chest the chestnut wood by, yeah, by all accounts and the feedback has, has just been a, just a great, just great cooking cooking timber, especially in the um, the hibachi and in the wood grills. So that's really interesting. So do you use your cherry wood at you know bonfires and stuff that you have or campfires? 
I I do look I do look back at uh, some parties I've had at the farm where I, I think I probably would have had about six ton of of, of prime cherry wood that uh, it was probably the best bonfire I've ever had because we used an excavator to kind of stack the trees on top of each other and yeah it was a good party but uh, yeah I look back now and went mm, it probably would have been nicer if I had have uh, <laughs> saved some of that but uh, look you know that was a, that was a different time when there there wasn't a, a market for it. That's Mark Folletta. He's a cherry grower and growing just about everything else as well from Benella in Victoria speaking there to Annie Brown. Time for markets now. Spent a bit of time talking sheep and lamb prices. Let's find out how they're selling at sale yards. Chris Agnew, take it away at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. This is an interim report as the sale has yet to be completed. The first major yarding of new season's lambs at Hamilton commenced this week with the yarding of 23,500 lambs. And most of the regular buyers were in attendance, but not all were fully active. The keenest competition came for the very good heavy lambs, 26 kilos plus, but overall lambs to the trade were softer by 5 to $10 per head. Over most categories of lamb, in an erratic market... New Seasons lambs sold to a top of 162, with most seasons, New Seasons lambs making between 410 and 490 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Light 12 to 16 kilo New Seasons lambs made from 32 to 69, the 18 to 22s made from 75 to 133, and the 22 to 26 kilo lambs, they made 96 to 155. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks, Chris. How are they selling at Horsham there, Graham Palmer? Good afternoon, everyone. Lamb numbers fell to 9,900 and sheep supply eased to 2,300. Quality was mixed with heavyweight lambs in limited supply. Usual buying group attended operated in an easier market. Back at times 5 to $10 a head with the heavyweight lamb selling close to firm. A large percentage of the lambs were lighter and plainer types. Medium and heavy trade weight young lambs sold from 100 to 130. Heavy lambs sold from 133 to 149. Merino lambs sold to 37. Old lambs sold to a top of 135. Restockers and feeders are active, paid from 21 to 87. Sheep continue to sell to limit a competition to be around firm. Merino used to 35. Heavy crossbred used to 35. The light trade lambs sold from 72 to 112 to average 430. Medium trade weight sold from 100 to 112, they've averaged 460. Export weight lamb sold from 133 to 149, they average 495. Medium weight sheep sold from 8 to 26, they average 75 cents. It's been Grand Pine at Horsham from LA. And lucky last is the cattle at Lee and Gather. Take it away, Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Warwick. There are 27 fewer at 800 with most of the usual buyers present, but not all operating fully in a cheaper market. Quality was in short supply with secondary cattle throughout. Trade cattle lost from 15 up to 40 cents in places. Ground steers and bullocks eased 10 to 15. Friesian manufacturing steers slipped 15. The crossbreds lost 30 to 45. Cows lost 5 to 10 cents. Heavy bulls lost 20. Veelers 200 to 272. Yearling trade steers 226 to 240. The heifer portion 170 to 200 cents. Ground steers and bullocks 203 to 220. Heavy Frisian steers 145 to 180. Crossbreds 152 to 190. Most light and medium weight cows 124 to 148. Heavyweights 136 to 183. Heavy bulls 160 to 205. 
This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks, Brendan. We're expecting the Senate inquiry report into the Basin legislation to come out either this afternoon or tomorrow. We might talk about that then tomorrow. Catch you then. It's one o'clock.